Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I'm Nick Gosling. And I'm Doug Stewart. And today we are doing our first ever live recorded episode from the Young Americans for Liberty 2017 National Convention. Joining us today, we have Elise Daniel and Jacqueline Isaacs, two of the co-authors of the Called to Freedom book, which premiered earlier this year. And they're going to be talking to us a little bit about their background in the liberty movement and then about the book itself. So, guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. So, and either one of you uh, who wants to take this first, feel free. Uh, but how did you how did you get started in the liberty movement? Uh, kind of tell us a little bit about your your career trajectory and how you became libertarian. How I became libertarian is a little <laughs> bit more of a, yeah. <laughs> of a longer story. Um, my name is Jacqueline Isaacs. I'm currently a communications consultant and a college instructor teaching marketing communications. Um, I've worked primarily in uh, communications for various uh, free market um, groups for you know, the last seven or eight years. Um, done everything from PR, press relations, radio, television, uh, to content development for different groups, uh, writing op-eds, website content, blogs, um, to social media, uh, online advertising, all that sort of thing, trying to spread the ideas of liberty in the most effective way possible. Yeah, and uh, my name's Elise Daniel, and I'm a writer and communications consultant. And um, Jacqueline and I actually met when we were working together at the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. So most of my career has been spent in um, communicating the ideas of free markets, especially geared towards Christian audiences. And the book originated, sort of the, the origin story of where the book came from, was while we were at the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, um, Elise was heading up a book club for young professionals here in the Washington, D.C. area. And we pulled 20 or 30 people um, every month to this book club, and we read a variety of um, classic, primarily classic books, things from William Robke, um, yeah, when, when we started this book club, I was really surprised with how many Christian mm -hmm. libertarians kind of came out of the woodworks. I didn't really know what to expect, but it turned out that there was just a huge need for that and a lot of people who wanted to get together and talk about the intersection of economic freedom and Christianity. Um, because when I was first sort of introduced to the liberty movement, it was a little bit on accident. I um, My friend my friend suggested I apply for an economics seminar since I was studying economics. And so I, um, it was with the Institute for Humane Studies and I didn't really know much about the group, but um, I knew that I liked economic freedom. So I signed up and then once I got there, I realized, you know, I, I come from more of a conservative background. So my knowledge of libertarianism and more of this classical liberal uh, philosophy was pretty minimal. And I was, 
um, just a little bit, I guess, surprised with um, the the group of people and some of the ideas there. I had never even heard of Ayn Rand before, and um, that was the first time I was introduced to to Ayn Rand and her moral philosophy, which my first instinct as a Christian was to say, like, to think, oh, this, you know, some of her moral philosophy seems a little bit at odds with, with my worldview. So it was an interesting kind of introduction into the liberty movement, and I definitely felt that tension between my faith and um, and the libertarian sort of political philosophy right from the get-go. And I just felt like I was the only Christian at the seminar amongst 60 or 70 other students who were there. Many of them were very strongly agnostic or atheist. So it kind of that was when I first started thinking about, okay, is my worldview compatible with this political philosophy that seems to make quite a lot of sense. So that's when I started wrestling with it. And then um, it was great to kind of find more solidarity amongst other Christian libertarians and people passionate about free markets and the book club. Would you say that it was during your time reading those books and interacting with those those individuals that you started to shift more towards libertarianism? Would that kind of be the the operative event that made that change? Yeah, I think for me, the, the thing that really, I guess, played the biggest role in my conversion from conservatism to libertarianism was just realizing that the libertarian philosophy was more consistent across all areas. And once I realized that inconsistency in some of conservative policy where freedom isn't you know, always the main objective where sometimes different special interests and um, personal beliefs and opinions can compromise that. That's when, that was sort of what got me and, and, you know, talking through other people and just reading a lot of, um, you know, Mises and Hayek. And it was, it was, you know, not, not too hard to see that, that consistency. And I was really attracted to that. Um, What about you, Jackie? (laughs) Yeah, I think I was already identifying as a libertarian before, um, but was really struggling with how to articulate that in Christian and conservative settings. Um, getting a good foundation from those classic works really helped to um, get a good vocabulary and a good understanding of, of how to frame the arguments and how to articulate it to other people. Um, while we were doing the book club, we got the opportunity to speak at the International Students for Liberty Conference um, in 2014, um, where the the six of us that eventually went on to write the book uh, did a panel on um, Christianity and libertarianism for the first time. Yeah, so one of the things we were really excited about this opportunity for to speak at Students for Liberty is that at least in my experience, you know, going to CPAC or, you know, other conservative conferences and then contrasting that with Students for Liberty and other libertarian conferences I, is that I just didn't see the presence of faith groups um, at, at these conferences as much as I would have liked. So we really were excited to um, bring that conversation to Students for Liberty, just a group that, you know, doesn't always hear that kind of message um so it was 
it was challenging for that reason, but we actually were surprised with the response and how many students came up to us afterwards mm-hmm. saying, like, thank you for being here. We've, you know, I felt like the only Christian in my SFL group and on campus, and it's just really good to hear these arguments. And um, so we hoped that our goal was to equip them and how to think about these ideas and articulate them to maybe their libertarian friends that aren't Christian or their Christian friends who are very skeptical of libertarianism. And it kept coming back to, is there a good resource that you could recommend for me and my college group or me and my Bible study at church to sort of reference um, these ideas. And I mean, we had a whole list of really thick economics books or really thick uh, Christian theology books, um, but there wasn't a really good reference that we can point to for a college kid and say, like, this is the best book that you need to read that can answer those questions for you and walk you through how to articulate being a Christian and a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, which is when we realized that someone should write that book. And the six of us uh, put together the book proposal um, to to write that book for that college student who who needed a good resource. Since you've published the book, have you you come across more people who say, oh, I'm also a Christian? Like before you said, you know, there weren't many people, you felt like you were the only ones. Now that you have the resource, do you see more self-identified libertarians who say, yes, I'm also a Christian? Absolutely, I think, yeah. Um, I mean, we've just been totally blown away with the positive response and how many, yeah, how many Christian libertarians really are out there. And maybe, maybe they... Until until now, um, especially with LCI and everything you all are doing, maybe they feel more empowered to actually speak up about that. Um, so yeah, we are really encouraged with the positive response there with the students. And I mean, of course, we like we've spoken in front of more conservative groups where we receive some sort of pushback on the typical, you know, issues of morality and that, but nothing too surprising. When we were working on the book, uh, we had signed with a publisher and we were working on writing the book. We ran a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo uh, last summer and it gave us the opportunity to make a little promotional video about the book and sort of put up a big question and answers and um, information about the book online and just sort of solicit support from the broader internet and all of our friends and family and the, the sort of libertarian groups that were uh, that were out there and um, it was a really successful and really encouraging experience I think for people that was just bringing people together and sort of being this like center point for the conversation um, about libertarianism and Christianity and bringing people together who didn't know that the other person identified as a libertarian. Um, and we ended up raising over $8,000, which was our goal, um, to f- help fund some of the, the various parts of the project and has just led to a lot of different doors opening up for us to go speak places or go speak to different groups um, that found us through this crowdfunding campaign. So it was a really great way to find a community of libertarian Christians online uh, and bring them together uh, around the ideas of this book. So when we're thinking about like how people have responded to this, I mean, just to kind of give a, a, a recent example, I mean, I was speaking to a group in Mississippi 
this past week, and it was mostly libertarian Christians who were there. But one of the one, one of the people in the audience who asked me a question, you could definitely tell she was a very traditional type conservative, and mm -hmm. her question was something along the lines of, you know. Her, her overriding concern was the United States remaining a, a sovereign nation, you know. And, I mean, what I wanted to say was I'm not sure that Jesus particularly cares about that so much as he does about the ethics of what we're doing and how we're doing it, but I didn't say it that way. But it's, it seems to me that when you look at the intellectual history of it, the, the overriding uh, sort of drive of conservatism is to preserve the status quo. And the overriding drive of progressivism is to revolt against the status quo. And Christianity really both affirms and rejects different shades of that, I think. So, I mean, the, the, the gospel is a revolutionary message. It, it overthrows people's preconceived framework for thinking about the world and what we value. Uh, at the same time, uh, it, it also emphasizes institutions outside the state like church and family. So in some sense it is, I don't like using this word, but in some sense it could be quote-unquote progressive, in other, other sense it's conservative. But fundamentally, when we're looking at the politics of it, libertarianism flows perfectly out of out of Christian thought because it's this idea that however we change the world, it's 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 primarily through the gospel, it's through ministry, it's not through the state or formal politics. So that was kind of me going off on a little bit of a tangent. But in, in your guys' experience, you know, speaking to different people from the Christian right, the Christian left, uh, how have they reacted and specifically how have they reacted to the book? Well, actually, one of my friends read through our book, and he is he him and his wife are missionaries, and they just have such a heart for social justice and refugees and 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 for that, you know, identify more on the left. And he had told me before he read the book that he was a strong Bernie Sanders supporter. And he was skeptical of libertarianism and always had been. Um, he just didn't see the compassionate side or how a libertarian could, you know, have a heart. Um, he just, you know, and that, I think that's very common amongst more progressives is that they believe that it's more compassionate to help the poor in this one certain way through the government. Um, but he said that when he, after he read through the book, it actually changed the way he voted in the election in 2016. Um, and yeah, he was just really struck by, especially Jason's chapter, which goes into what the Bible says about government. And he said he found that the most convincing, um, which was, I think, kind of funny because Jason's the only anarchist of all of the authors in the book, and he, he says that in his chapter. And so I found that interesting that my friend, who is a progressive, was actually most convinced by the the chapter of, by the author who is an anarchist, um, but he just said that it just really spoke to him, and he found the... Um, again, that consistency in the argument and and how Jason debunks the different myths of Romans 13 and all of, you know, um, the verses that that make, that a lot of progressives use to justify big government. So that was one really positive response from the, from a progressive that, that we got. I think 
think the biggest positive feedback we've received from the book is from our target audience of libertarian Christians. Everyone seems to have this sense of being alone. They're the only person on their college campus who's wrestling with these ideas, or they're the only person in their family that's wrestling with these ideas. Mm -hmm. And they're being told by their libertarian friends at places like Yalcon that you can't be a Christian and a libertarian. They're being told by people at places like their church that they can't be a Christian and a libertarian. Um, and one of the big themes that we put in our book um, was that all six of us sort of told our own story of being in that position. Um, one of our co-authors was told by a college professor at his Christian college that he couldn't be a libertarian and a Christian. And we, you know, we, we all had that story where we were in that position. Um, and helping those young people realize that it's not a unique position. They may be the only one that they've known going through it, but there's a lot of people and a whole community of people that have also um, faced that same challenge. And then following that up by equipping them mm -hmm. with, and here's how we have worked through it, and here's how we've talked about it. Um, that's by far been the biggest response that I've heard from people, that yeah. this was really helpful from them, that they're using it in their Bible studies at church, or they're using it in their small group. There was a, a group here um, in D.C. that they had a, a book club at their office mm -hmm. that they ordered the book for, and were working through it in their, in their office setting. And, um, and that was more of a libertarian organization where not as many people were Christians, and it was sort of encouraging to them that, like, oh, like, I don't have to give up on my Christian family members. They, you know, they could be libertarian, too. Mm -hmm. um, that was sort of an interesting story. Yeah, we, and we actually had um, one girl from the conference yesterday come up to our table who had read the book, and she actually really identified with one of the stories that we told. Um, it was... Philip's chapter, Philippe's chapter, the last chapter, and he talks about his experience growing up in Romania during the Soviet Union, and um, we tried as much as we could to integrate our personal stories into the book. Uh, I mean, it would have been really easy to just write theoretically why these ideas go together, but we really wanted to personalize it, and I think that's been very helpful in speaking to students and you know she came up to our table and said oh you know I my family is Romanian like we immigrated to the United States like I really that chapter really resonated with me um, so I think that's been some of the best feedback we've gotten is are those students who have really identified with our own personal journeys and, and how we became libertarians and, and Christians and it's been really helpful when people ask, like, what would be a good resource for me to give to my friend on these ideas to be able to have an answer and say, well, here's a good, relatively short read that can address a lot of these questions that your friend may be having or objections that your friend may be posing about the compatibility of libertarianism and Christianity. Right. And then... Um, for the conservative side, any kind of pushback that we normally get is, well, you know, I don't want my my kids to grow up in a in a country where, you know, doing drugs is just okay. Prostitution is a viable job option. Yeah, it's like, what's Christian about that? Um, but what I would, what we always just bring back to that is, you know, it comes down to who does it better. And I, one of the takeaways I hope people have from this book is. 
is not just the fact that freedom allows us to make our own choices, but that freedom is actually a huge responsibility. And and I think as a to the libertarian Christian that falls on the role of the church and the community, it actually is a huge burden in a lot of ways too. Um, like that's where the cultural change happens, where um, you know morality comes from. As a Christian, it's from God, from the Bible, and you know it really brings into question the role of the church and how much more robust that needs to be. Um, in a libertarian society. It seems like many conservatives seem to want the government to set the parameters as to what is acceptable in society rather than relying on other social conventions like the stigma of something. I mean, it's now Mm -hmm. a little bit of a stigma to be a smoker, you know, Mm -hmm. and... You know, I mean, I realize there are laws that are kind of like making it harder to afford to smoke, but, you know, peer pressure helps alleviate, you know, Mm. helps out with that a bit. So, yeah, that conservatives tend to want to like the social morality thing. It's like, well, if we just make it not an option, we won't have to deal with it on a cultural level. So one of our co-authors, Taylor Barkley, wrote about that in his chapter about libertarianism versus libertinism. Uh, He specifically talks about the concept of shaming and how right now people are very critical of shaming like don't shame me and don't um, don't make me feel bad about my behavior um, is, a, is a popular criticism that libertarians have about Christianity that you're trying to force your morality and that force is not respecting me as an individual um, and my individual freedom. Taylor addresses that in his chapter that um, that's like that's not coercive to be encouraging someone in, to behave better or to, to behave morally, um, particularly to be encouraging other Christians uh, to behave according to their faith. Um, and he uses the example of, you know, if you stop your three-year-old cousin from running out into traffic, like, yes, that's coercive, but... Um, it's for his good, and it's not necessarily the, you know, the government isn't the only person that can encourage people to behave um, yeah. in that sort of way. I also like to remind conservatives that it's totally compatible to have conservative values mm-hmm. while being politically libertarian, and I think they often don't realize that you can have both. Mm-hmm. Many people will react to libertarianism as hyper-focused on the individual and not thinking about the greater good, or even just not the greater good as in the country, but the greater good as in the people around you, the communities mm-hmm. that you are in. Uh, do you deal with that in the book? Yeah. Um, it actually reminds me of the debate Norman did with Al Mohler of um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And that's what he says that you know, he kind of equates libertarianism to moral bankruptcy or exaltation of the ego, and it's all about the individual. Um, but I think Leah's chapter does a really good job with casting an optimistic vision for how good a society can be when under freedom. Um, and actually, she, where she works now um, at this organization called Flourish Now, they are a really great example of that faith and liberty and action where they're bringing the community together and hosting job fairs at local churches and I just think it's a really great example of how to live that out in a way where where 
you know, putting where having freedom doesn't mean putting yourself first. It's all about, you know, if we don't want the government to be, you know, doling out checks, then we have to do something about that. Yeah, you know, Al Mohler is an interesting character. He's, I've never met him, but I've seen a lot of his stuff over the years. And, I mean, he's obviously very intelligent. He's very widely read. But when you listen to that debate that he did with Norman, I mean, it's almost as if he he had Wikipedia libertarian and read the first two paragraphs. I mean, it, 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 it was ridiculous for someone who has read as much as he has to present it that way. It's almost as if he has tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and essentially, I mean, because politics is his number one thing that he likes to talk about, it, he's dedicated the bulk of his career to the subject I think he understands the least, uh, which is, is very tragic. Um, but, I mean, like, your guys' book has some great endorsements from from some really impressive thought leaders like Robert Sicero, Jeffrey Tucker, uh, Roger Ream uh, from the Fund for American Studies, who's also the chairman of the FEE Board of Trustees, uh, Lawrence Reed, Bandow. who's the president of FEE, uh, Doug Bandow, uh, who's also affiliated with LCI. He's on our editorial board for our new journal. So I, I am ultimately optimistic that the dynamic in the church at the intellectual leadership levels uh, is, is shifting. And, and will continue to shift in the coming decades, and that will ultimately filter mm-hmm. its way down into the pews, if you will. What are your thoughts on that? There's the sense uh, in the modern American church that the Bible sort of inherently endorses the sort of modern democratic state that we have in America, and that there's this intrinsic connection between being a Christian and supporting the American political system and being involved in the American political system. Um, And I think one thing that we've seen in our book, and I think that's being reflected in some of the thought leaders that have supported uh, and endorsed our book, um, is going back to the context that the Bible, the Old and New Testament, was written in, and that, um, like you talked about in your session here at Yalcon, that they weren't explicitly endorsing the government because for the most part they were sort of acting apart from the government. They were the, the church, the early church, um, was trying to you know, pursue and expand the kingdom of God sort of despite what the, the current government system was doing. Um, and we're very clear in our book that we don't believe the government, or we don't believe that the Bible endorses any particular structure of government or any particular political philosophy. It's not a book about political theory. It's a book about, you know, the, this greatest story about God's plan for humanity and God's saving grace for humanity. Um, and to make too many extrapolations about what that means for government. Um, is unwise. When we had Jeffrey Tucker on our show recently, we, we talked a little bit about about this sort of issue, and, and specifically as, as it ha- is unfolding in the Catholic Church and, and Pope Francis and his proclamations on economics and political theory, but I think we see this really uh, throughout throughout the, the, the universal church. I mean, so, I mean, it almost seems as if constantly you'll find pastors or priests or bishops or theologians or what, what have you making statements on economics and political theory and social organization 
solely based on what they think is the Bible is saying without really going into the deeper context of church history and without studying economics, without studying political philosophy. Uh, and, and, and of course, the scripture is, is a higher authority than an economics book or something, but that doesn't mean that we just throw economics and, and political philosophy out the window because all truth is God's truth. And he expects us to, to utilize those things in correctly and rightly applying the scriptures. So it, it, it seems to just be the, the, this sort of problem that we have within the church of people thinking they can use the Bible to just trump any other, any other subject matter at all. Um, so, I mean, you... I, I, I have read the book. It's been it's been a little while. Do, do you guys address that at all, or anything kind of like that? One thing that I recently discovered, um, sort of a reminder that this isn't a new problem. This is a problem pretty much as old as the church. Um, I was reading some, uh, going back to the Reformation time period. I was reading some Martin Luther. Um, and he actually made quite a few attempts at economics, which I found really interesting and very poorly done, which was surprising coming from, coming from this, this um, really big name and really big figure in church history, um, talking about how futures markets were unethical because you're buying something you don't currently own. And um, just some, some very misunderstandings about how currency exchanges work and things like and it just made you wonder like why is Martin Luther trying to uh, expound on economics um, or talking about prices and how it would be really great if the government could set prices for things but he just wasn't sure if it was possible and it, it's it was a very um, it was a good reminder that it's it's a temptation that people have, have struggled with for all of church history to try and try and apply the Bible um, to things like government and economics. Well, it seems it's kind of odd to me because you don't at least left-leaning Christians will look and say that the Bible has nothing to say about, for instance, origins or. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't have anything to really to say about geology or astronomy or anything like that, but all of a sudden it has everything to say about what we would call economics mm -hmm. or, or something mm -hmm. that the subject of economics speaks into very highly. How do we interact with one another when, especially among complete strangers? Mm -hmm. When you go around and speak at events, mm -hmm. uh, you, were, you weren't speaking in our... You, you've been, when you go around and speak at events or just with people who you realize, oh, they're Christians and they call themselves libertarians and mm -hmm. they either have read your book or they benefited from your conversations, what do you encourage them to do in their local areas with their, you know, their church friends, whether you know they're non-libertarian church mm -hmm. friends? Um, how do you encourage people? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite pieces of advice I can't take credit for. I. Um, a guest speaker in one of my classes shared this with my students and I, I thought it was great and have used it um, in other settings but when you when you tell people that you're a Christian 
One of the best ways that you can minister and represent Christ is say, I love Jesus, and then don't be weird. <laughs> be, be someone that they want to hang out with. Be a good friend. Be a good co-worker, whatever the setting is. And I think the same applies for libertarianism, too. Like, if, if you go into your church and you say, I'm a libertarian, like, be a libertarian and don't be weird. <laughs> like, be some, like, have normal conversations about... Um, you know, life and and whatever the dis- political discussion is, without always taking it back to the non-aggression principle, or you know, whatever it is. Like, be, you know, it's okay to be that person's libertarian friend, um, just like you would want to be that person's Christian friend, and be able to speak into their lives about liberty and about what the Bible says about liberty and those kinds of things on a regular basis, without them just writing you off as. Oh, there, there Jackie goes again with her crazy ideas about liberty. Um, and it sounds so simple and so obvious, but it can really be a challenge. I think um, it's challenging because we, we get all worked up about a particular issue and we're excited to talk about right. it. And we don't realize that it comes off as a little odd. Yeah, and, and that's also something I hope uh, people take away from the book is that it's so much more important to be passionate about God and Christ and the gospel yes. than it is to be about liberty, even though liberty is really great. Um, I, you know, it just kind of makes me sad when I do meet some some people who are just so excited about these ideas of, you know, Bitcoin and, um, you know, they're so passionate about, you know, all these libertarian kind of issues. And and then when they start talking about that, you know, they're just not really excited to talk about their faith. And that that's something that I would encourage anyone who reads the book to just keep in mind mm-hmm. is that, and all of the authors say this, is that we're Christians first and libertarians second. And um, so that's what, that's what I would hope from people who read the book. So the book is Call to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's edited by Elise Daniel and... Jacqueline Isaacs is also with us here. She wrote one of the chapters. There is five chapters, and I, I guess I have a just a side question for you. If you had to revise this, or when you do your second edition a few years from now, what would the sixth chapter be? I would really like to add more practical ideas of what people can go out and do that is more than just sitting around and talking about the ideas and getting really excited, but more of the of the faith and liberty and action type of things. That's, I think that's what it could really use. Well, I think we did put a lot of effort when we were structuring the book to try and cover as much ground as possible and tell like a, an overarching, compelling story that makes sense from chapter one through to the conclusion. Um, so I, I don't think there's much in the way of holes in the in the story that I would want to fill in more. Um, But yeah, I think answering that what now question would be really important. Like, okay, you've read this book, you feel like you've got good intellectual arguments, um, what now? So maybe that's part two or the next book. So tell us where our listeners can go to purchase the book which we highly recommend and you know if they have somebody they want to give it out to maybe somebody who's open to reading a a, a good introductory book uh, that, that isn't a, a giant 500 page tomb uh, 
I, I think it's a great book to give out. So where can our listeners go to get copies? You can purchase the book on Amazon. We have paperbacks as well as the Kindle version. And also, if you'd like more information just on the book, the authors, please visit our website. It's www.calledtofreedombook.com. There's also information there about upcoming events that we're going to be speaking at, where you can come and meet us, buy some copies of the book in person. And we're also on social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, handle Called to Freedom Book. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today on the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. We're signing off live from the Young Americans for Liberty 2017 National Convention. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Music